We're going to open our Bibles, if you would, uh, to, open, to Acts chapter 14. Uh, we're going to uh, look at one of the experiences that Paul and Barnabas had on their missionary journey, their first missionary journey to the region of Galatia. So we pick up uh, towards the end of their first journey in Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 8. You can follow along in your Bible or on the screen if you would like. We'll read through verse 20. While they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached, looking straight at him. Paul realized he had faith to be healed. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, stand up. The man jumped to his feet and started walking. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, These men are gods in human form. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and Paul was Hermes, since he was the chief speaker. Now, the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town. So the priests of the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates, and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay and they ran out among the people shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go on their ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. But even with these words, Paul and Bartimaeus could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium, and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up, went back into the town. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. Let's pray. Father, as we take time this morning in your word, Holy Spirit, um, enlighten our hearts and our minds that we may receive from you the encouragement we need to persevere in the faith, that when life as a Christian gets challenging, that we're reminded to stand firm in the word of God, to stay on mission for God, and to to persevere in the faith for the glory of God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Sonny Jurgensen, does that name ring a bell to anybody? If it does, raise your hand. A few of you. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit more, and this might jot your memory. Uh, 1970s quarterback for the Washington Redskins. It wasn't the best time to be a quarterback for the Washington Redskins, I guess, because at the time of this story, Sonny was the bulk of the criticism of the successes or failures, more or less, of the Washington Redskins. He was the one that 
the media had a heyday with and bantering with him and giving him flack for the success of the team. And when asked by the media if the flack was getting to him, he replied, no, not really. I don't want to quit. I've been in this game long enough to know that every quarterback every week is either in the penthouse or in the outhouse. Isn't that true? You know, Monday morning headlines for the quarterback, you're either in the penthouse or the outhouse. That's how it goes. This is oftentimes true of the Christian life. There are those who you're their hero for one day. You're their enemy for the next. I've only been in the preaching ministry for about two years here at Alec Covenant Church, but I've been in the ministry for some 20 years. I've spent a lot of time with pastors and preachers and people who are in ministry, and I can tell you that oftentimes Monday morning, the preacher's either in the penthouse in some people's eyes or the outhouse in others. It's part of the Christian journey. This is true for any of you who on your Christian journey have had a difficult encounter with a family member, a loved one, a coworker, a neighbor, somebody who you have been trying to enter into their world and share the good news of the gospel with, and they have rejected you for it. The church in Antioch, well, they sent Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey to Gentiles. Last week, we looked at a part of chapter 13. Today, we're going to look at a part of chapter 14. But if we put these two chapters together, what we'll recognize is that encompasses the entire first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And the region upon which they brought the gospel was to the region of Galatia. They started in Cyprus. They went to Perga and Pamphylia, to Pisidian Antioch. They experienced a great deal of success until zealous Jews ran them out of those communities. They moved on then to Lystra and Derbe, where everything started great, but fell apart quickly. They went from the penthouse to the outhouse. Paul had a captivated audience, and they turned on him, and they stoned him, leaving him for dead. Now, instead of beelining home to Antioch in Syria to report their journey, Paul and Barnabas decided to go home the very same route they came on so that they would stop along the way to encourage the Christians that they had witnessed to and who had come to faith on their journey. The Christian experience, it comes with ups and downs. There's no question about it. If you've been a Christian for some time, you know that. For Christians who are committed to loving Jesus and becoming like Jesus and sharing Jesus with the world will meet that inevitable truth or reality that sometimes we win people to Christ, sometimes we lose people to Christ or to the world, but the Christian life isn't always easy and oftentimes it's extremely difficult. Regardless, being an effective witness for Jesus. It requires that we build relationships with people. It requires that we stand firm in the word of God, that we persevere in the faith, and that we live a life of sacrifice 
as we live on mission for Jesus Christ. Paul and Barnabas, yeah, a great deal of success. But with the success came that suffering, came the persecution, came the hardships. And if they threw in the towel and went home, the gospel wouldn't have gone beyond to the second and the third missionary journey. In fact, Paul writes to a young son in the faith in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He writes to Timothy and he says, yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. What might bring this verse to life for you and for me is the fact that Timothy was brought to the faith in Jesus through Paul's ministry in Lystra. That's where he grew up. Paul, as we know, was only stoned once in his life and left for dead, and that was in Lystra. And it's very likely that Timothy witnessed his stoning. So as we consider one of the more difficult parts of their journey, I want to remind you of several things that are applicable to our own Christian experience. When it comes to effective evangelism, we need to know our audience. If we want to be effective on mission for Jesus, we need to know and understand our audience. We need to know God for who He is based on the Word of God not based on our thoughts, our feelings, or our emotions. And we need to understand and know the mission of God so that we don't lose sight of what our life is truly all about. Because when we keep our eye on the mission, it helps us to persevere in the faith. And that's one of the big takeaways I hope you gained this morning from the teaching of this word, the importance of persevering in the faith. The first point of knowing your audience, Lystra was a small town, a country town in Paul's day. Many compare it to what we would commonly call the Wild West. The people in Lystra were known to be uneducated. Uh, Some commentators suggest they're even a bit uh, half barbarous. (laughs) a place that was a bit backwards, did things differently. It was also unique in the sense that it didn't have a Jewish synagogue. Every other community that Paul and Barnabas have entered into with the gospel had a Jewish synagogue, and it became their starting point. It's where they got to learn their audience and know the people that they were bringing the gospel message to. The synagogue was the place that taught the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures. So they had an understanding of the God of the Bible. And as Paul and Barnabas reached out into the Gentile world, what they wanted to do is help the Jew first see that the God of the Old Testament and all the promises that come with the Old Testament are found in the person of Jesus Christ. From there, they had an understanding that even the Gentiles in a lot of these communities would have been influenced by the Jewish presence. But in Lystra, it was different. In Lystra, there's no synagogue. There's very little, if any, Jewish influence. 
there were some Jewish families. We know of one because Timothy was born there and his mom was Jewish, but his dad was Greek. So he was a half-breed. And in light of that, what we also know about Lystra was that it was primarily a pagan Gentile community who not only thought of God, but thought of many gods and wanted as many gods as were permissible in their lives. Up to this point, we find that they encountered a new challenge in sharing the gospel. In verse 8, while they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a crippled man. He had been that way from birth, and so he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached, looking straight at him. Paul realized that he had faith to be healed, and so he called to him in a loud voice, and he said, Stand up! The man jumped to his feet and started walking. Now remember that the crowds that they would oftentimes encounter first and foremost were in Jewish synagogues, but because there wasn't one, Paul and Barnabas found themselves at the city center or the town square where people would often gather and have philosophical conversations. But when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, these men are gods in human form. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. Verse 13, now the temple of Zeus was located just outside of town. So the priests of the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. The miracle that was intended to validate the message of the gospel became the very thing that turned the crowd's perspective and pursuit of the one true and living God to recognizing or at least thinking of Paul and Barnabas as gods themselves. Isn't it funny how that happens? How sometimes based on what we think about people or feel people or, or experience life with people, we tend to elevate them or degrade them to different statuses. One of the great dangers of being in the pulpit as a preacher is that people would attach themselves to me more than they would attach themselves to God. That they would look to me as, as, as the, the, the source of giving them truth or gaining something from when all of that belongs to God and none of that belongs to me. Not only is this true for pastors, it's true for Christians, how some people want to attach themselves to you rather than to the one true and living God. There's a danger in this that must be met with complete humility to make sure that God gets all that he has coming to him, his worship, his praise, that we don't steal that from him. But why Zeus? Why Hermes? Why were these the gods that they wanted to make Paul and Barnabas into? Well, the reason is there was a local legend that was told, and the Latin poet Ovid describes how gods of the past had taken on human form and had entered into this community and how these gods went around from house to house 
looking for people to invite them in and to be kind to them. And thousands upon thousands of people had rejected these gods when they entered into the community. But there was this one poor couple with this meagerly poor home who invited them in, who were hospitable to them and who welcomed them warmly and who provided for them and were kind to them. And as a result, Zeus and Hermes, according to the legend, turned this poor little shack into a temple and then rewarded this this, this, this poor couple with the gift of being eternal guardians of the temple. Now, what about those who rejected them? The legend tells that these two gods came in and sent a flood and wiped the people out. Paul and Barnabas come in, do this miracle to validate the message of the gospel, and the people recognize two individuals among them who are very, very different because their worldview is informed by Greek gods. They see them as maybe being Zeus and Hermes, and so they elevate them to that status, and they give them those titles. See, one of the things that's important for us to do in entering into people's lives as we get to know our audience is making sure that we understand their worldview, their perspectives, their ideas, and their values. Because if we don't understand that, sometimes we may find ourselves in a very difficult situation, just like Paul and Barnabas, where we end up spending a lot of times helping people get out of something they think we're bringing them to so that they can see the one true God who we're really trying to point them towards. I shared with you about a ministry that I was involved with in North Dakota in the community of Cannonball on the Standing Rock Reservation. And one of the things that we learned while we did ministry there was the value of the elder in their community. One of the things that we did was enter into the children's lives and begin there. But what we found was that the real voice into the lives of the people of Cannonball came through the elder, not through the children. So we knew that if we won an elder, we would win the community. And there was one lady that God graced us with. As she came and she was the voice of reason to the kids, when they wouldn't listen to us, they would listen to her. What a great gift. This last week, we launched a jail ministry. Three of us went in uh, to the Douglas County Jail to uh, provide a worship experience for those who were there. It was awesome. It wasn't a full room, but those who got God brought to us, one of the things we recognized quickly was that we needed to understand our starting point and getting to know our audience. And I'll tell you why, because at the end of the day, it meant the difference between bringing a message that was evangelistic versus bringing a message that was filled with edification. It's either bringing the gospel to people who've never heard about Jesus, or it's helping those who maybe know Jesus and have made some poor choices and are suffering the consequences to be built up 
so that they can live into the life that God has for them. What we found out in a short time is that everybody had a Bible. Everybody knew Jesus Christ. Those who were with us on that day declared Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. And so our time in the Word became one of edification and encouragement. Let me tell you how much of a blessing that was. But it could have went south real fast if we didn't take time to first get to know our audience. The starting point matters every time we bring Jesus to people. The second thing is that we are to know the living God. You see, this is the first time that, that, that Paul and Barnabas actually brought the gospel to a community, as I said, where they didn't start in the synagogue and they didn't have a point of reference to a, a, a biblical worldview. So they had to enter into a pagan's world to bring a message of Jesus. And, and the question is, how in the world are they going to do this? So Paul's attempt at bringing the gospel to Lystra began by pointing out two critical things about God. Number one, that he is a God of creation, and he has made himself known to all people everywhere through his creation. And number two, he is a God who is good to all people, not just those who follow him. And we're going to take a look this morning at, at, at what that really looked like. It doesn't mean that in not being able to take the Old Testament scriptures and start there, that, that Paul didn't have a starting point in God's word for everything he said aligned with the Old Testament scripture. But it did no value to say in the Old Testament it says because they didn't even know what that meant. But there was tremendous value in saying, look around. Look at God's creation and everything in it. Let's talk about his goodness and identify where the blessing comes in your life. In verse 14, we read, But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay, and they ran out among the people, shouting. Now, why were they in dismay? Because people wanted to worship them, and the worship that they were receiving actually belonged to God. Are you willing to stand firm in the faith so that when people praise you and elevate you, you always point them to Jesus rather than take that praise yourself? So here we are, verse 15. Friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We've come to bring the good news that you should turn from the worthless things to the living God. There's always a turning towards Jesus. For those who are in the world and of the world and don't know about the relationship they can have with God, there's a necessary turning. Turning from the idols and the things that we worship in this world to the one true and living God. That turning is called repentance. Going in a different direction where we're by nature, running away from God, we're now, because of God's pursuit of us, we stop and recognize him for who he is and what he's done, and we turn towards him and pursue him. And that's what they're trying to get these people to understand. 
Paul goes on, he says, we are encouraging you to turn from the worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own way, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. But even these words, Paul and Barnabas, with these words, they could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing and worshiping them. Time out. The God who made everything and the God who is good, even to those who don't know him, can experience him. That's who we're coming with the message of good news with. I mentioned last week that the authority of God's word is under attack within our culture, within society, and sadly within too many churches. In seeking for the truth to know the living God, there's only one place we can turn to with absolute confidence. It is God's word. There's no other place that we can turn to with confidence that we will discover who the one true and living God is than the Bible. It's the only place. And when we think about God and accepting God for who he is, we must accept him based on what he says about himself. Thus, we understand the Bible to be the word of God. It's what he says about himself. To know the living God is to know the God of the Bible. To know the living God is truly to know the God of the Bible. And so we accept that the God of the Bible has made himself known to all of humanity. As Paul says in Romans, so that people are without excuse. I want you to listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, about how God has made himself known to creation and to people so that there really is no excuse to know him and accept him and worship him. Romans 1, verse 18, we begin by reading, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give thanks to him. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things that God created 
instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. They traded the truth about God for a lie. And any time we trade the truth of God for a lie, we're going to be in trouble. As Paul and Barnabas enter into Lystra, the emphasis that they bring in bringing the good news to these people was all about the goodness of God and the providence of God. How God created and sustains all things and has made himself known to all people. What we see also is God's common grace on display. God's common grace is the way that God acts in the world, even to the non-believer, and extends by his grace, his goodness to them. And Paul points out several things. He says, in the past, he permitted all the nations to go their way, but never left them without the evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. Even for those who don't know God, by his grace can still experience God's goodness in these ways. Are you aware of God's goodness in your life? And are you thankful? And is God's goodness in your life a good starting point for how you can witness to your friends, to your family, your coworkers, and people in your world? Do they see you as a grumpy old man who is ungrateful? I hope not. Because out of God's goodness, we can find joy. We can find a place in our life that gives us the ability to be excited about who God is and what he has done for us. Our job is to be a faithful witness to the gospel and to who God is based on his word, not based on our thoughts, our feelings, or our emotions. See, it's never our job to change a person. That's always God's job. The goal isn't to convince somebody God exists. He's already done that. The goal is to just know the truth and speak the truth in love so that others through us can see him. A.W. Tozer said, what we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I totally agree with that. So let's make sure that what we think about God is based on what God says about himself in his word, and not based on who we want him to be for us. Because when we create God to be who we want him to be and we put him in a box and then worship him, we've entered into a state of idolatry, which is a grave and wicked sin against God. So let's make sure that the God we know, the God we love, the God we worship, and the God we share is the God of the Bible, the one true and living God. You know, our worldview, it informs and it shapes who we are and what we think. Paul and Barnabas entered into a community that had a worldview that was maybe a bit foreign to them. 
Now they wanted to help establish for them a worldview based on the word of God and the truth of God. And that takes time. Our worldview impacts our view of God, our view of humanity, our family, our view of government, our view of society. It impacts religion. It impacts the church. We look to the word of God as the whole counsel of God to inform our daily lives and how we live and interact with the world. As we apply the whole counsel of God to our lives in all areas of life, we must understand this important truth that as a witness for Jesus Christ, sharing Jesus with others is not just for some, it's for all who belong to the family of God. So as you apply the word of God to your whole life, know this, there's a mission you're on. And that mission is to make Jesus known. So when we look to our lives as a Christian, we can ask the question, is the life I live based on a biblical worldview or based on the teachings of the culture and the world around me. For as Christians, a biblical worldview is a must if we're going to live a life worthy of our calling. Lastly, we must know our mission in verse 19 and 20. Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and they won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into the town. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. Living the gospel life is a hard life. And those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's what Paul said, and that's what he experiences. See, the gospel isn't just a message we proclaim. The gospel is a life that we live. The gospel in life is a life of sacrifice unto the Lord where he gets all of us, not just some of us. It's a life of obedience to the Holy Spirit of God who lives in us who are Christians. It's a life of obedience to the word of God that is an instruction manual for our life. It's obedience to the will of God for our life so that we can live a life that's pleasing to God. Paul says it like this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and patterns and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In order to change the way we think, we must know what God says about himself through his word. As I said, life on mission for Jesus isn't an easy life to live, but it's a life worth living. So how do we persevere in the faith? when times get tough, when we're put in the outhouse. We keep our eyes on the goal, on the prize. In high school, I, I trained to be a champion wrestler. 
And everything about my life was given to that training. My diet, my exercise, my practice, my character, my interactions with people, my education. All of that was encompassing to how I trained to be a champion. And if we're going to live a life of being a champion for Jesus, then all of our life needs to be a sacrifice for Jesus. And we must keep the mission in mind because it's why we persevere. If we don't have the mission in mind, we have no reason to persevere. We have no reason to press on. We have no reason that when we're stoned and left for dead to open our eyes, get up, and go back for more. But this is what God wants of us. So when we witness to others about Jesus, let's not be afraid to make too big of a mess that God can't clean up for us. I think that's a fear for some of us. I don't know what I'm doing and I'm going to make a mess of things and I don't know what to do with that. Well, you know what? Paul and Barnabas didn't know what they were doing and they made a mess and God cleaned it up. It's going to be okay. Let's trust that God's in control, that he will remain in control, that even in our inept good faith efforts to accomplish his plan, he can still use us. Because the most important thing in our journey of faith as a witness for the gospel is that we go and be a witness. Acts 1.8, when you receive the Holy Spirit, the power will come upon you to be a witness in this world for me. That's your assignment and mine. Doesn't belong to the missionary and just the pastor. It belongs to all of us as we live this life called the Christian life. And that's good news. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, there's just so much encouragement that we can receive today in bringing the word of God into our lives as the foundation for our lives. As a reminder today of being on mission for you, God, help us to not lose sight of knowing our audience, who it is that we're loving and sharing you with. To not lose sight of knowing truly the one true God so that we don't make you into a, an image, but that God, we worship you for who you really are. And help us to stay on mission so that we can persevere in the faith and win people to Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.